What's up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of Becoming the 1% Podcast. Today, my guest is Scott Chaveri. He is the founder and CEO of Mito Red Light. Together, we discuss the different frequencies of red light therapy, its integration with health, wellness, the biohacking that is red light therapy, how it applies to you, and how we are applying it here at Strict Vision Athletics with yoga. Enjoy. How you doing, Scott? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm great. Appreciate you coming on. Seriously. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Very excited. Very excited for the collaboration of our two companies and everything that's going to come from it. Uh, we uh, have had a real fun time putting together the space and the new regeneration room. Uh, for those watching, because again, the the content and everything that's coming out of this is is, is a bit of a slow roll. Our, our therapist, which is going to be doing yoga, essentially what we are doing is a collaboration with Mito Red Light, where we are offering red light yoga in a four-person setting for a semi-private type of training. It's incredible. I mean, my, my background, I've done yoga for about four years now, so I love the movements. I know what it does for your body. The red light, however, is sort of new to me. And I've, I've watched Huberman. I've heard the, some of the leading experts talking about it. But I'd love to hear from you. Just first off, starting at the beginning, what got you into this? Why, why even go into something that is obviously so helpful for people? But why, why red light? Um, okay, so it's a long story, but I'll condense it as much as I can. Tell I, this is a this is long format. Go for I it. I actually originally got interested uh, as I was nearing forty, and I was worried about testosterone. Interesting. And there were a couple of mice studies where they shine red light on the testes of the mice, and they show like forty percent increase in testosterone. So that's interesting. Wow. It's a, it's a mouse okay. study, uh, and then there were anecdotes of humans doing that and seeing benefit and i was like well seems like it's worth a try so i i bought one of these full-size red light panels and i was standing el natural in front of it and just uh, stunning the boys yes yes well and also the face because it's good for skin as well sure and so uh i was a, so i was a user originally mm -hmm. and then i um i wanted to buy more lights because uh, it's you know having one even three foot panel is kind of hard to do your whole body yeah uh, and, and I just realized how expensive it was. And so that was really the origins for me is, and I think a lot of businesses start that way, right? You're, um, you're like, this is too expensive or I could do this better Yeah. and, or uh, do it better and less expensive. And so yeah. that was kind of the origin story about six years ago. To give perspective on pricing. I mean, if someone were to, like you gave us the 1500, explain that to me as well for my own personal edification, because I didn't understand it. You said it, the panels, if it said 1500, what's the metric? What does that mean? What is a 1500 panel? Well, what is that? Well, okay. For us, it's more of a, it's just a skew. It's a name. It's like the Jigawatt 10,000. You know, it's, it, it's just, it sounds oh, cool. Okay. I see. Uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, we can get into the specs, but there are 300 LEDs in that light and it's 42 inches tall. So it's good. It's actually perfect for what you're using it for, oh, I yeah, think. Yes. Uh, and, uh, but you know, they come in all different ranges. That light's only 1149. Mm -hmm. So it's, we think it's an exceptional value for the light that it puts out. Sure. But um, even back then, when I started the company, the lights, there was a smaller version of that light. So that has 300 LEDs. The one that I was looking to buy mm -hmm. was 150 LEDs, and it was about 1300 bucks. Yeah. And I was like, this is just too expensive. Yeah. So so we, we, we came in on competing on price because that's generally what you do when you don't have a brand yet. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just been a crazy ride over four years. The business yeah. has just grown tremendously. Yeah. 
And, and as far as, I mean, you mentioned testosterone, you mentioned the initial interest was, of course, helping with that. And, and it, I mean, if it's as simple as shining a light on on a special area that may increase the, the health of the of your testosterone, I mean, that's incredible. But where has this where has this journey taken you? What what are the benefits to red light therapy? Yeah, so uh, I, I like to describe this kind of in the micro and the macro because there's kind of two ways to really, um, I think, articulate it. So in the micro, usually I start with the mic, uh, the macro, but I'll start with the micro this time. Like um, it's acting on the cells, uh, and it's it's helping the mitochondria make energy. That's kind of the the nuts and bolts of it. So mm -hmm. you can go into Wikipedia and you can Google uh, look up something called the optical window, mm. and uh, it's a very specific band of six hundred to nine hundred nanometers. Six hundred is the beginning of red light. Uh, red light is six to seven hundred nanometers, and then you get into near infrared. Yeah, uh, and that's so it's a very the bottom of near infrared light, so seven to nine hundred nanometers near infrared, and in this specific range in the in the light spectrum, you get penetration of the light into the body, and it acts on the mitochondria and essentially helps the mitochondria make energy. Interesting. And so, but it's um it's very and the reason why this is very narrow range is below six hundred nanometers, the light the wavelengths are short. And they get absorbed by other chromophores in the body, typically hemoglobin and melanin in the skin, which are people sure. are familiar with. And then above, when you get above 900 nanometers and up to up to 1,000 and beyond, you get into mid and far infrared. And there, the energy is absorbed by water. And so it actually, it gets converted to heat. In the which, body. of course, our body contains 70, what is it, 72, 75% water, something like something that? Like yeah, that. Yeah. And so all of that energy... And that's when you're out in the sun and you feel that warmth. I mean, that's infrared mm. uh, or infrared saunas are, are popular. I know you're, yeah. you're familiar with those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's all mid and far infrared, and that's heating the tissues from the inside out. So there's this very narrow window where you have longer wavelengths that can penetrate in the body, but they're, um, you're not getting the water absorption. And, you're so, and so it can get deep into the body and act on the mitochondria and help the mitochondria make energy. So that's how, that's how it works in the micro. Yeah. I think the macro story about red and near-infrared light therapy is that modern humans spend about 93% of their time indoors. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, 87% indoors and 6% kind of in cars, which are essentially indoors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cars or trains or buses. And um, so we're just massively deficient in sunlight and in particular infrared and red and red light. Which is, of course, a huge contrast to how humans existed for thousands of years prior to our modern technology, our cars, our trains, our automobiles, and our houses. Exactly. It's a new phenomenon. And if you actually look at it, um, you know, I mean, obviously, pre-1900, we were still outdoors, agricultural society. Then we had the Industrial Revolution, so that was like a big step uh -huh. where people moved inside. And then in the 50s, even more people moving in, office spaces and yeah. kind of these, these big um, metropolitan areas popping up. And so there's been this massive stair-step decrease in just how much sunlight we're getting. Mm -hmm. And 54% of the solar spectrum is actually infrared radiation. Say that one more time. 54% of the solar spectrum? Right. So the light that comes from the sun or the energy that comes from the sun. Okay. So if you actually break it up. So people don't, they don't know this. Um, you know, uh, most people, when they think of sunlight deficiency, they think vitamin D. Yeah. Which is ultraviolet light. It's actually UVB. But only 7% of the sun's energy is um, ultraviolet. 7%. 7%. Okay, right. and the other 93? Uh, so 39 is visible light. So ultraviolet's like 200 to 400 nanometers. Okay. Visible light is 400 to 700 nanometers. And then, so that's 39% is visible light. <sighs> mm -hmm. And then 
the other 54% is actually infrared. Wow. Near, mid, and far. And the other thing that's important to know is that ultraviolet light, if you're familiar with, like, if you were going to go out and I, I, you're, you're health-minded, so I'm assuming you know this, you're going to go out and make some vitamin D out here in Phoenix, you're probably going to go out or between 11 and 1. Uh-huh. Yeah, because that's at its highest. That's when it's at its highest because in the, in the, it's shorter wavelengths. So in the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, that ultraviolet isn't making it through the particulate in the atmosphere. Mm. So you want it, it's at, it needs to be at its highest. That's the only time you can really make vitamin D, depending on your latitude, is midday, right? Yeah. But infrared is longer wavelength. We're getting that all day long. And there is a, correct me if I'm wrong, is there not a larger amount of infrared that happens at sunrise and sunset? What is the... It's not a larger amount. It's just on balance it's higher because the, all of the other shorter wavelengths are getting filtered out of the, from the having I to see. travel through the atmosphere yeah. further to get to you at, at that point in time, right? So, uh, so on balance, it's a higher amount. I see. I see. Um, I, I presume you are somebody who subscribes to the idea of watching the sunrise. Absolutely. Watching this. What, what, what is there to that? What is happening? Why, why are so many people going on and on about that? You got Andrew Huberman, Jordan Peterson, people saying, hey, if you want to change your mood, you want to feel better, watch the sunrise, watch the sunset. Why, what, what is there going on there that they're telling us to do that? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, obviously, the first thing is the kind of circadian reset. Like you're notifying the body that it's early morning. You, you want to do that so that your body is, knows about 12 to 14 hours later, it's time to sleep, right? So it would maybe 12 to 16 hours later. Uh, so you want to have that early reboot rather than waiting uh, you know, later in the day and, and then confusing your body about exactly what time it is. So I do think there's that early morning. There's also the preconditioning effect. So there's really some interesting studies where they – precondition the skin with red and near-infrared light, similar to what you would get early morning exposure. And then they hit it with UV and they find that it acts as sunscreen. And it actually has a protective effect on the, the skin. The early morning sun yes. protects you as a sunscreen for the later in the afternoon sun? Exactly. And well, that's just nature. This wow. System of nature. And like people, it's, it makes perfect sense if you think about it. Like you, because we're meant to be outside pretty much all day. That's the environment we evolved in. Right. So working. We, what a crazy concept is that? <laughs> hunting and gathering, whatever yeah. we'd be doing. Right. And so we would be getting these early red and near infrared light mm -hmm. early in the day. And then we would start to get the trickle of UV late morning. Which and is then the vitamin D. and Right. And then midday, obviously the UV is raining down on you. But that preconditioning from the early morning actually serves to protect the skin. Wow. Does red light in a synthetic coming out of a mitor, a mitor panel do the same thing? Does it act yeah, as so, a form of sunscreen? So the study, uh, there was, it's a preprint study. It wasn't like peer-reviewed published, but it mm -hmm. was in, still very fascinating. They, we have it on our site. They uh, exposed an arm to different wavelengths of light from you know, 400 nanometers up to about 1,000 nanometers. Mm-hmm. So um, basically violet up into low near infrared. Yeah. And the further they went up, the more, and then, they, and then they exposed it to ultraviolet light, trying yeah. to burn it. Sure. And the further they went up into near infrared, the more protection there was. Wow. Right. So, so, uh, you know, even in red lights, like mid six, six, six fifty, six sixty nanometers, there was protection. But then when you got into 800, 900, even more protection. And even in the study, they described it as SPF 15. <laughs> cool that's crazy yeah right i thought i'd never heard that before so next time you go to the beach well the... it's funny when my wife and i went to mexico uh, uh 
about two months ago, I brought my red light mat and I was preconditioning in the morning. Uh-huh. And I would say hello to the sun, go out to the beach and say, you know, it's morning time, do my morning. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then before we'd go to the beach, I was on the mat uh-huh. getting my red light preconditioning. So I was hopefully not burning as much because I'm kind of pasty white. <laughs> I have to be careful in the Mexican sun. What What is it from the sun that actually gives us that dark pigmentation? What is it that from the sun that burns us? And why does the early morning sun stop that from happening? Uh, that's a great question. So it's, well, it's, U, it's ultraviolet light and it's typically UVB. So is what burns us. And UVA. And UVA. Yeah, so UVB makes vitamin D. Mm-hmm. That's like 280 to 320 nanometers. And then UVA is 320 to 400. Mm. Um, and so, so it's interesting. I've been actually been researching this because I've been thinking about like, um, because narrowband LED technology has so many applications, and I've obviously I'm currently in the red light space, but there's other things that I'm thinking about designing and bring it to market. Hopefully, at some point. Yeah. Uh, and I've learned that UVB um, it does cause tanning, as does UVA. So if you go to uh, like a tanning booth, uh-huh. typically like uh, like the, with those fluorescent tubes. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's like thirty percent UVB and seventy percent UVA. But the UVB is all that you need for vitamin D, and UVB will also tan you as well. And the way that UVB tans you is actually by increasing melanin synthesis in the body, which is what you want. Right. The way UVA apparently tans you is by oxidizing the melanin that's already there, and that's actually more damaging and more aging. And typically what folks are concerned about, like, so it's a catch-22, uh, those tanning beds, I think if you're vitamin D deficient, uh-huh. on balance, it might be a good idea to do that once in a while. But you have to worry about the premature aging of the skin from the UVA. Right. So hypothetically, if you could get rid of that UVA and just have only the UVB, you might have a safer, more effective way to tan and make vitamin D. Yeah. Without the damaging long-term effect of over, is it correct to say over-oxidizing your cells? Is that is that your mel your melanin? It, well, it all depends on uh, dose. What right? what is the aging process that happens? I mean, I think probably the general consensus is that going in a tanning bed routinely is not good for you. It's not a people do it usually out of vanity. It's not right. a long term answer. Right, which is actually interesting because they do it out of vanity, but in long term, um, excess UVA is going to damage and prematurely age the skin, mm-hmm. especially if you're not um, preconditioning it. With red and near infrared light in the morning. Um, And so you asked about the mechanism of how it protects. And so this is also really fascinating. The the paper I was talking to before we went on air was um, this paper from 2019 by Russell Ryder. And there's this new uh, thought that up to 95% of the melatonin in your body is actually made in the cells when they're exposed to infrared light. So this is, uh, if you're familiar with melatonin, it's a, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's it's typically referred to as a sleep hormone. Sure. So there's um, something called dim light onset melatonin, which happens when the sun goes down, and then the pineal gland starts to make melatonin, so that as a signal to your brain that it's time to go to sleep soon. Right. Which answers the earlier question of why watching the sun go down is actually good for you because right. it's activating this gland. It's telling you, okay, it's time it's, to rest. It's part of the naturally natural daily rhythm that the sun is setting. There's no more blue or green light. Now we're getting a little bit of that red and near infrared light toward the end of the day. And then it's time to start making melatonin, time to start settling down for the night for your rest and digest period, right? Sleep. Right. So, 
But this research or these, uh, these scientists are putting forth the idea that actually that's a tiny sliver of the, the total melatonin your body's making, that, that pineal gland, dim light onset melatonin. Mm -hmm. And you're actually making melatonin all day long if you're in the sun exposed to infrared radiation. And the, the reason is, is that so when infrared, as I mentioned earlier, so red and infrared light, they stimulate, they go into the mitochondria, they stimulate ATP production, which mm -hmm. is the energy production. You think of it as the power plants. Yeah. So you're making, uh, you're making energy within the cells. Yeah. The power plants are churning along. And there's always, um, there's no such thing as a free lunch in biological systems. So you're upregulating your energy production. So you're also creating more free radicals. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's just, it's just an, um, more metabolic activity, more free radicals. Sure. Right. And, but when that happens, your cells in your body being infinitely wise has the coolant mechanisms built right into the cells. And the coolant mechanism is to produce melatonin right within the cells. Mm. So, and if, you're getting a good amount of infrared radiation. The thought is that it's actually a net benefit because you have free radicals being produced. You have more energy produced. You have more melatonin being produced to put out the fire. And then you have, you build if you're in this infrared. So that's how it protects the skin. Yeah. In my, in my, yeah. in my uh, opinion, I don't know that we know this definitively, but I believe that exposure to infrared early morning increases melatonin production, which is a powerful antioxidant. So that when you are exposed to UV, which is, creating damage in the skin. Sure. You have uh you have the the hose the firemen are there ready. Which explains the fire. which explains yeah. I think two differing phenomenon. A it explains why like you said hunter gatherers could be in the sun all day long and seemingly not burn to a crisp and you know right. get, everybody it seems like everybody would have skin cancer and die if they if we weren't adequately prepared to deal with the day's work in the sun. Starting at dawn, which is, right. of course, as all hunter gather, you know, the sun rose. It's time to go hunt. It's time to go farm. And it also, I think, explains why today, you know, you have this whole group of people that, like you said, we don't spend a lot of time in the sun. And then what do we do? We decide, hey, let's go to the Salt River. And then you fry. <laughs> right. But it also explains why children don't burn as fast because children have naturally higher levels of melatonin, right, than adults. Is that they true? They do. They do. And also, yeah. So in the paper, they actually bring this up. They talk about how. Um, children are, well, they, they are, it's more of a problem that they're not out in the sun because the, the infrared penetrates deeper into their bodies. So, Interesting. Uh, right, because they're smaller. They're physically smaller. Right, yeah. And so it's, so they get more of a net benefit from having all of, so many of their cells affected by infrared radiation that's penetrating. So Kids need to be outside. So when they're not outside, it's, yeah. more, it's more of a loss to them. Than Which they're to not. Right. Today, it's it's not. Your your kids are inside. Looking at blue light. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what What is there to that? Because it seems like, uh, and, and I'm not sure if this has an interaction with what you're doing, but you've got, you know, you've got to have blue light blockers, glasses, and the, and the such. People tell you, like, you need to get away from blue light once you can be in it for this amount of time, but you need to get out of it, especially toward the evening. Yep. And then you got red light, which seems to do the opposite. Have you done any research into why why that? I mean, has blue light made its way into your research at all? What 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 what's different about it? What why do we interact that way to that light and interact different to the light in the regeneration room? Well, again, I think it has to do with um, in early morning the blue the shorter wavelength blue light. You're not um, exposed to that. It doesn't make it through the uh, the atmosphere. So okay. it's the similar concept where early morning, it's just, that's why the sky is red in mm -hmm. sunrise and sunset, red, orange. Sure. Um, and then as you get late morning, then some of the blue starts to trickle in and you start to say, okay, it's, 
then it's telling your body what time of day it is, especially at midday. That's when you're getting the most ultraviolet and blue light. Yeah. And that's the problem. After the sun is set and we move indoors and we, if we have these bright screens in our face, mm -hmm. flashing the blue light into our eyes, it's telling our brain that it's noon. Ah, so I of see. Course it's going to jack up your sleep, right? Which is like, why they say what, don't, don't like, do it at night. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What time is it? So the, and actually that's how I actually originally got into this is I had really bad insomnia in my twenties. And I always thought that I was just that I thought I was just cursed with having overactive mind. Uh -huh. um, but it was the, it was the blue light. Yeah. It, I grew up with a television in my bedroom, you know, sure. like just, yeah. it was, you know, it was really bad. And then, um, my mother actually still sleeps with the television in the bedroom. I try, I'm like, Ma, come on, you gotta oh, I know. learn from learn from my and you know, but um, it's the first thing I tell people when they say they can't sleep. I'm like, okay, how quickly in the evening are you getting away from the screens in your life? Are you watching television and then trying to go to sleep, or even worse, are you sleeping with the television on? Right. You ever have that? People are like, I can't sleep unless the television's yeah. on. I'm listening. I'm like. You need to you need to get away from that right now. You need to try this. It's terrible. It's terrible for you. You are yeah. not even if you fall asleep, you're not sleeping. What is there to because one of the most common questions I get and this interacts specifically with what we're talking about blue light and red light, the impact on your eyes. The biggest question I get asked because we've done some content around the red light and the red light yoga and the people who are coming here, that's the number one question they ask. Is it okay for me to look at this? Is it okay for my eyes to be open when this room is glowing out of your house? I mean, what, what is there to that? How does that impact your eyes? Because obviously blue light, not good for your eyes, especially to be continuously looking late in the day. How does red light interact? So uh, again, well, the context is everything. So the dose is really what matters. So red light, there's really some good data that it's, it, can be, it can be quite beneficial. Mm. And again, there's a lot of mitochondria in the eyes. Um, and, but the eyes are obviously very photosensitive. So, mm. um, you can, um, use minimal amounts and uh, Huberman actually talks about this. He's talked about this, I think like a year ago, there were some good studies in Japan in children mm. where they, um, they use a little bit of red, red led light in the eyes, two to three minutes, modest dose, and they see improvements in nearsightedness and, and, and these types of things. Yeah. Um, so there's, and I've seen other studies in older populations where they see improvement in macular degeneration, same type of thing. But this is a very modest dose. We're talking a couple of minutes. That those, you have big powerful lights over there. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe that would be equivalent being 18 inches to two feet away from those lights, mm -hmm. looking off center for a couple of minutes. No problem. Yeah. Probably very, very good, frankly. Yeah. Uh, the problem is we don't want people staring at them for really long periods of time up close. Yeah. Right. Because that's, you know, again, dose matters. Yeah. What I've what I've told the the, the answer that because I I came to the same conclusion from what I because I at first I didn't know. They were like, hey, can you look at this? I'm like, I think so. So I took and I found the same type of stuff. Moderate doses. And really and truly the best answer is to treat it like the sun. I'm like, OK, yes. it's good for you to be outside. But do you stare directly at the sun when you go outside? Yeah. No, but you can stare up. You can stare near that. If the sun is here, you can stare here. And we just sort of do that subconsciously. We know not to stare at the sun, right. but we can, I, I also have come to really appreciate how damaging sunglasses are, yes. how bad those are for us to be wearing in any context. I don't wear sunglasses anymore. I used to wear them all the time. Me neither. Me neither. Although I did buy a pair when we went to Mexico because I knew I was going to be in the beach all day. And that's part of the problem is, again, we're just not conditioned. 
Like I am not. Mm-hmm. I, I said to myself, my eyes are not conditioned to be in the Mexico sun all you know for ten hours. Yeah. Uh, but if I was getting out on a regular basis, yeah. then um, then I probably would have ditched the sunglasses altogether. Yeah. But um, but that that is uh, most people are like me. They're not spending nearly enough time outside. And so their eyes are just not conditioned to deal with with even a, a decent amount of sunlight. Yeah. So you kind of have to work your way up, you know. Yeah. Like like anything else, I think start in a moderation. Get yourself what what I started doing honestly, because like I said, the the sessions we haven't actually started doing them yet. We did a couple of them, but we're gonna really ramp them up. But what I started doing was I use my panel in the morning, right when I wake up. I I I. I I block out my windows so I don't allow light in when I go to sleep. I do that light when I take a shower and I go to sleep. Again, I don't, you know, look directly at it, but it's right there outside of my shower glass door. Get ready for bed and same thing in the morning. I started in, and that's probably 15 minutes in either direction. So 15 minutes twice a day is what I started doing. And I really did start to notice the difference rel- relatively quickly. What are you noticing? You're noticing better sleep. You're noticing, um, I mean, you obviously you work out a lot. So are you noticing anything with muscle recovery? Just curious. You know, I, I noticed it more in the morning than in the evening. Now my evening routine was already pretty good. I, like I said, I, I block out the light in my room and I, I mean, I mouth tape with hostage tape. I do a whole lot of biohacking traits to sleep better, get away from screens and the science. But I did notice in the morning that my elevation in my mood is it's like you drank coffee it's i don't i where i where i used to need coffee within an hour of waking up like i would stumble out of bed i would get ready with my stupid light from my bathroom on and i would get i would kind of feel groggy for the first hour or hour and a half and especially since i found out he, one of the biggest things Huberman ever said was, okay, if you are feeling the midday crash, cause I'm a, I'm a midday crash guy. If I have coffee right in the morning, I'll usually get hit with it. Like two, 3 PM. I'll feel tired. He said, look, all you got to do is wait 90 minutes, wake up, naturally allow yourself to, you know, energize on your own. Then you can have your coffee after two hours of being awake. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, That's that, the, that cortisol, yes. cortisol rhythm, your cortisol is actually supposed to be high in the morning and you kind of want to let it do its thing. Mm-hmm. You stimulate. You can preemptively stimulate it. I think with coffee. Yeah. And uh, but it, again, you're 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 messing with your kind of natural rhythms when you do that. Yeah. And, and I found though that the red light in the morning gave me the same type of energy as a cup of coffee. Yeah. I I and I noticed it within days. The first day I was like, oh, this is really pleasant. This is nice waking up. You got this nice red big. And I mean, when you're in a room closed off from the sunlight and that panel comes on your whole room glows like it's the whole thing is this red light and in your head i did a bit of it almost takes kind of a bit of meditation i told myself that's the sun coming up that's what i would tell myself like oh that's the sun coming up that's the sun coming up and i would just sort of think that thought as i got ready brushed my teeth did my hair all that and i noticed immediately within a day or two that my energy levels spiked without coffee yeah i'm the same way I'm absolutely the same way. I, I try to do it in the morning because when I do, I know I drink less coffee. You had a question. What was it? Your example of um, using it through the the window in the shower, right? Mm-hmm. Does using red light on the other side of like a window does that disrupt the spectrum of the the light at all, or does that affect it? Uh, 
on a your shower glass door probably not i mean we're I, talking something that's that thin what this is another one of the problems though there are there uh these buildings are coming out with more and more glass which is called low, low e glass and it usually has a green tint uh. and they're doing that because from an energy savings perspective because it blocks infrared <laughs> actually and you'll notice the goggles or the glasses that came with your light are green yeah and it's a block because they block infrared uh, and so if it's a green tint glass, I would be concerned uh -huh. because it's probably blocking infrared. And then that's kind of the, the whole point is you want the infrared from that light. Yeah. Right, 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 <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I ask is I, I have a sauna and it would be cool to put it like right outside the window on the sauna. That's and, what we recommend. I yeah. think it would work with your, I don't think your sauna had the type no, of glass he's talking about. No, it doesn't. It doesn't have a low E glass. It's yeah. also very, I mean, this door right here, this is the door that's on his sauna. It's on my door. It's tempered glass, but it's it's not all that thick. It's about mm, maybe half an inch type of thing, and it doesn't seem to have any sort of a tent. You know, it's uh, I, I, I'm i going to test this. I mean, we have spectrometers. Uh, maybe the next time I'm down here, I'll bring my spectrometer. We could play around with some yeah. glass and see. And see. I haven't actually, because we can test it, and I can give you a definitive answer. Whether it's coming uh, to and, the same And maybe frequency. even test with different types of glass, too, to see. Interesting. It'd be, it'd be fascinating. Yeah, it would be. Because it's, I mean, again, you ideally want to be naked in these situations where you're around it. Right. There's not too many settings where you can kind of <laughs> just comfortably do that. In my car. <laughs> in my backyard. <laughs> and and I, I have found that, I mean, a sauna, a shower, those are probably the two most accessible places for, for normal people to implement red lights. You can, of course, just use it as your morning routine, but most people's morning routine will include one of those two things anyway. So yeah. if it can go through glass and work the same way, I mean, that would definitely be worth knowing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we're looking at um, creating something specific for inside a sauna. I'm working on that. Okay. Uh, so that would be able to handle the heat. You need to definitely tell me if you guys come out with something like that. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have a prototype, actually, there in my office right now. I have, I have to test it. Bring it here. Well, I'll <laughs> test it right now. I mean, I, it, uh, if it works in your sauna, then I know we're good. Yeah. If your sauna gets oh, yeah. <laughs> and, it's, uh, and it's not just, I mean, if you're going to put it in a sauna, it's got to be able to withstand the heat. And it's going to be able to withstand the steam mm -hmm. because, I mean, most saunas like ours is, a, I think it's a Swedish, it does the stones and it infuses with the, the water. And a lot of saunas do that. Uh, you know, I, I'm not, a, I honestly, and I've got you, I've got you here, so I'm just going to kind of put you on the spot. What is your opinion of infrared saunas? Saunas that don't use, because they don't, my dad has one. He, they don't have the stones, they don't have the heater, and they sell this. What is your opinion of infrared saunas? Yeah, uh, so I have, um, I think, contrarian opinions when it comes to saunas in general. I, to me, the, well, I've looked at the data, and most of the studies that are referenced with respect, this is one of the things that bothers me, because I like truth, you know, and I seek the truth, but there's so, unfortunately, there's always economic interests that are mm -hmm. obscuring truth. And there's a lot of people selling infrared saunas, and they reference these papers, but these papers are mostly on the types of saunas that you have. Mm. And they're getting, they're, you know, my infrared sauna gets up to 130, maybe 140. Yeah. But, you're, but the real, but the data is like 170, 180, like these really, really hot saunas, yeah. the ones that are showing like in, in improvements in longevity and things like that. Yeah. So first of all, so like that's not necessarily transferable. I mean, the data is on these old school finished saunas where it's 180 degrees. Uh, so to say that you know getting an infrared sauna is going to give you the same health benefits is mm -hmm. a stretch. Um, 
And then also this whole thing about detoxification, I also am not sure that I believe it uh, because I've seen studies, they measure sweat and it's not like they're finding heavy metals coming out in sweat from sauna use. Uh-huh. So, Detoxing uh, specifically in infrareds or in both types of saunas in general? Um, I would say both. I, I okay. think that the data is weak, I would say. Interesting. Because you, okay. you detox through the elimination, through your kidneys, through your liver, through mm-hmm. peeing and pooping. That's how we detox. That's how we get rid of stuff. Yeah. This idea that we really are detoxing a lot through sweat, I'm highly skeptical of. Interesting. Um, even a even a deep. I mean, like, let's say you went to a hot yoga session that was eighty minutes long. I mean, when I when I get out of there, I feel like a new human. Well, okay, but there's a lot of other things going on there. You're exercising. You're you're, you're endorphins from the heat. I mean, there's other benefits to the heat stress. I mean, the heat shock yeah. protein. Yes. And these things, but the detox side of things is where I'm skeptical. Uh-huh. Um, because again, they've done these studies. They measure the sweat, and they 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 find what you would expect. They find electrolytes, they find salt, you know? Uh, right. So um, they're not finding mercury coming out of your, your body in your sweat, right? So are you really detoxing heavy metals or these other things from sauna use? I'm, I'm skeptical, but I'm mm-hmm. open to being proven wrong. And yeah. th- that's an interesting point. I know, um, I know firsthand a lot of people who have had, for example, like black mold poisoning. And one of the big protocols is, hey, get in a sauna so that you can detox it out of your system. So it would be interesting to see like the studies on that or the data, if if that's an actual thing, if that actually helps. The protocol, I know what you're referring to. Doesn't it also, though, include the clay supplementation? They tell you to take that clay, yeah. ingest it, it like like 45 minutes to an hour before sauna and then go in the sauna and that helps with the detail so I- so is it is it yeah. is it just a, a byproduct of um increasing circulation maybe even deep in the body like and so that you're flushing things out better through what like as i said peeing and pooping because if you they may if they're suggesting taking clay um, i'm assuming they're wanting to catch something in the bowels yeah, on and the, the way GI out. tract on the way out. Yeah. And um and so not necessarily are you is it a sweat detox thing. Mm. Right. That that that's uh I, it, I bring that up yeah. because it is a little pet peeve of mine because I, I think that I mean I looked into it and I couldn't really find a lot of good data supporting that specific uh supposed benefit of sauna. Ben that's Gre- interesting. Ben Greenfield is a big pro- you, ever, you ever hear his stuff? Yep. I'm sure, yeah. Big proponent of hot sauna and, and the detox that comes with it. I'll, I'll find, I mean, his his book, Boundless, had an entire three-part chapter on just sauna use and his protocol. But I will say this, his protocol, and, and I think people need to understand this as well, it probably requires a bit more of an extreme setting to get the detox that you're trying to get out of saunas than you think. And that's also why I'm very skeptical of infrared saunas. Like you said, 160, 170. You're not really hitting that point where like his sauna and my sauna is like 220, 230. Like uh, that's, that's hot. And you have to, and, and and Greenfield, I know for a fact, he, in his book, he cooks, he goes 15 and 15. He goes 15 minutes in, 15 minutes out and then 15 minutes back in again in like 240 degrees. So to get uh, that effect, you're not going to get that same effect if you go in for 15 minutes in 150, 160, especially if you're not. I think there's also something to the transference and heat that happens in real saunas with the stones and the steam and the infusion of the whole room that's sealed. Not those 
black panels with the light that's coming through that's supposedly I'll, I'll sit in an infrared sauna for a half hour and barely sweat yeah me too mm -hmm. and and i sweat pretty easily but yeah i will get in i i've kind of stopped using my sauna at yeah. home i bought it bought into the hype uh -huh. i had it i used it and uh then i just found it to be too inconvenient where i would sit in there for you know even if i let it heat up i would sit in there for a half an hour before i really start to sweat yeah, and then I'd have to. I felt obliged to stay another half an hour just to get a decent sweat. So that's an hour plus the shower, and it's just it's a, it's hey, a big investment. You yeah, know? you met, seriously, you, it's a you, podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you also mentioned the uh, sort of the commercially motivating bias that a lot of these companies will inevitably have. I get it. You want to you want to sell your product, so yeah, you're going to claim that it does this and that when you may or may not have concrete data to back that up. But I think you're not getting the benefits that it's claiming. And I also know that it's a lot easier to sell a sauna that doesn't take 220. You don't have to hire an electrician. I mean, to get a real sauna working, an actual, not a box that you put together with four walls and a plug, because yeah. that's what's on the market right now for the infrareds. They're in a package. You Did you have to run 220? I did, but I've got this one right here that has both um, the heat and the far infrared. So you've got the bulb. So it's both. Yeah, it's got both of them. See, that's together. smart because, hey, maybe the infrared works. Maybe it doesn't, but it's not going to hurt you. Yeah. And if you're in a sauna that actually has stones and has 220 power and can really, really crank up to 200, how hot does your unit get? Uh, it gets up to 180, 190. But it, really? it's hot. Get. You still need to get in there. But, yeah, I do. Uh, have you been in there, Eli? Okay, okay. I've got Logan in there before. And yeah, like, I remember he like, said it's insane. Yeah, it's hot. Okay, yeah, it, I would imagine the combination would make yeah. it feel more hot. Yep. It might. Yeah, yeah. That could be it because mine doesn't have. I don't have infrared in mine. Mine is just a Swedish. It's just the stones, and mine gets to two twenty. But his feels hotter than mine does when you sit and sit in his for like twenty five minutes. So yeah, the combination of the two may be the way to go if you are looking. How much was yours? How much was your sauna? I think it was around five thousand. See, oh. there's something else. Okay, that's five thousand. How much is an infrared sauna without the heating structure and the stones? And it, they're what? Are they two? If that, they're much more accessible, much more commercial, yeah. a lot easier to sell someone on a two thousand dollar. How much was yours? Do you remember? I think it was 2000 Around 2000, 2000 yeah. yeah. So less than half the cost of a real sauna to get just infrared going. It's yeah, it's it's a much more it's a much more scalable business model. You can hit a bigger market because it's less than half the cost of a real sauna. And you can claim the same benefits. Or they yeah. can claim they can the claim same this that's yeah, a yeah. that's a good point. Have you found that at all to be the case with red light? Has there been any I mean I'm sure there's pushback. I'm sure there's people who say, nah, man, that's a, this is not, I'm not, you know, even at the cost you guys charge, I'm not paying that. This is probably a farce. Have you found any pushback to the science on this or has it just been widely accepted in your experience? Um, I have a two-part answer to that question. So, I, well, there's been pushback from me for how other companies market their products. That's uh, in terms of, again, taking um, science that's not transferable and using it for marketing. Okay. Uh, and so that's um, specifically with pulsing. There's this, a lot of companies are pulsing red light and, um, or again, it's a marketing claim that it somehow adds benefit. But if you actually look at the data and the science, 
around pulsing. It's all Are lasers. Are we talking like it's strobing? Strobe lights. Oh, yes. goodness. Yes. That is... can't be good. I mean, to even from, I mean, I, I used to be an epileptic. That has to come with some like, come, warning, right? Yeah, it's First of all, it's dangerous, obviously, like, yeah. like you allude to, but um, and it's stressful to the body, especially, I mean, even we've all experienced this. I've been to plenty of clubs with the strobe light on and it's not, I find yeah. it disorienting and stressful. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but there are companies marketing it as it's, as if it's beneficial and they're, they're taking laser studies and trying to transfer that over to LEDs. And it's, it's, it's just hogwash. I, I just, yeah. it really bothers me. And, and this is also because there is a lot of legitimate science behind red and near infrared light and the benefits. Yeah. And in the micro and the macro, as I mentioned earlier, yeah, it's it's unequivocal, right? And but the problem is, is that we have again commercial interests muddying the waters, and I I think undermining um, a lot of what the benefits are. Yeah, you know, and so and so the pulsing thing is something that's really got under my skin, uh, and I I look in these companies that advertise it, and they'll 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 have, they'll have science studies to back it up, and they're all laser studies, and it's very completely different animal lasers are completely different animal yeah you have to using high-powered lasers in a medical environment is much much more dangerous because it's high high energy it's very concentrated and oftentimes they're pulsing uh for safety reasons they're not pulsing because the pulsing itself is doing anything they're pulsing because if you use a high-powered laser on the skin you can actually burn the skin and so a, a countermeasure is to pulse the light turn it on and off very briefly it gives the skin <laughs> just enough time to cool where you can use a high-powered laser and deliver energy deep into the body without burning the skin. Okay, I have seen these. Uh, um, um, I saw one. It was a pad that you laid on, on on a bed in a medical. They have one in a med spa that I saw. What in the world did they call? Do you happen to know the name of these? I think pl- they're typically called like IPL, or intense pulse laser. Yes, you know, IPL. Yes, just for skin That's health. What, yeah, that's all legit. It's all very legit. That stuff works. But they're pulsing it for safety. They're pulsing it because. You know, well, they can use, they can pulse like very pointed lasers if they're trying to deliver, again, light energy deep into the body, trying to act on the, a bone or a tendon that's deep in the body. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they need to, they need to pulse it so they don't burn the person. And so the, the, this is just an example you mentioned about is there pushback. There's pushback from me on some of the marketing claims from other companies where they're saying that all of this pulse lasers somehow transfer to LEDs and pulsing LEDs is going to be somehow more beneficial it's it's nonsense and LEDs are very safe and the, especially the ones that we use so you don't pulsing it is counterproductive you don't want to purposely turn I it off see. oh okay i understand now in the laser treatment in the medical community it's good but saying that pulsing those LED lights is better is not true exactly you're you're exactly. taking one it's, thing it's and it's saying very, it's another yeah. it's it's very similar to the sauna story where they're taking you know the 180 degree sauna research and saying that that oh that means that 130 degree infrared sauna is just as good yeah when no i mean that was they're apples and oranges it's a different animal uh-huh. yeah absolutely yeah if you if, man if you can come out with a sauna proofed <laughs> light you also wouldn't i'm still stuck on that i know it wouldn't have to be big think about that you're talking something probably that probably yeah. the size of this to, 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 a sauna is small. A sauna is smaller than this table sometimes. You you would not need a lot of light in there. And if you could come out with something, even something that had like just a case, a clear case something that could be that mounted. Could just hang from the ceiling. I mean, yeah, just something just you could hang in the corner kind of like... and they just turn on with a, with a remote yeah. external from the sauna. 
because that does not exist right now in the market. I've looked for it. I'm working on it. Um, I want it to be bigger though, because I'm a red light purist, and I if if you're gonna do it, I want I want you to do it right, and I want you to illuminate as much of the body as possible. Well, you could always take one, put it here, take one, put it here, maybe yeah. sync them up. I would. I, I I know I hear what you're saying, but in this particular case, because I know just the the geographic size of most people's saunas. I mean, my sauna is actually big compared to most home saunas. Most home saunas are smaller. You're not going to have a lot of room for a panel to be right here. It would have to be something that was like, like very, very thin, non-invasive that would just go on the wall. But then you also have the problem of people need to sit against the wall. Mm. People in a sauna, especially if you go in, why you'd hang it, you would want it up, up above uh, yeah. in the corner or on the ceiling. Even on the ceiling would be ideal. And I suppose you could do a, a strip, but I again, I don't think it's necessary. You could get small little units that if you could somehow sync them up, put one in each corner of the sauna and just turn them on, that would get you your red light. You wouldn't need to have the big panels inside of a sauna. Yeah. Okay. Well, my prototype's bigger, but I, I like your idea. So if my prototype can withstand the heat, then we can always do smaller versions of it. Heck yeah, yeah we can. <laughs> heat, heat and humidity. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a, and a lot of it. Cause you figure if it's up on the ceiling, that's the hottest part of a sauna yeah. is the ceiling of the sauna. Yeah. So that'll be a massive undertaking if you can make that happen. Yeah. I've actually, I mean, there's a lot of the heat and humidity are enemies to electronic. Oh electronics. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so this is quite the conundrum, quite the, uh, the, the challenge, but, um, I've actually, um, discovered the whole field of forensic engineering and electrical engineers. And that's what they do. They try to destroy things. Well, they tell you like where the where the breakpoints are. Uh huh. So I've actually I've engaged with a couple of them, and I'm sending them some prototypes and saying, "Here, blow this up." Yeah. Tell me, tell me what it takes to blow this. How up. hot does it take right, to kill right. this unit? Right. Yeah. And if you can get it to where, oh, this dies at 500. Well, all of a sudden you got yourself a product because <laughs> there's no sauna in the world gets to that hot. So I actually had a question for you because you mentioned earlier when you guys first got started how you kind of made your name was by being cheaper than all of the other competition. Is that still the case today? And how did you actually like establish Mida Red Light as one of the top red light companies in, at least I believe in America, right? I believe so too. I believe we're, in my read of the industry is we're in the top three. Sick. Um, uh, so it's a great question. I, I don't know that I have any really um, words of wisdom other than, you know, we just, came out and offered a good product at a good price. I, I did um, teach myself internet marketing to try and be able to get in front of eyeballs relatively inexpensively. I think I did a pretty good job of that in the beginning. And um, and then we just take care of our customers. Yeah. You know, we just do the right thing by people. Uh, and because I think, you know, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. So we want to make a good impression mm -hmm. and have a, a stellar online reputation. You do that by taking care of people. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. doing right by people and not really nickel and diming them. Did you guys, because I, I, I haven't even gotten into any of this. Do you guys manufacture these here or, or, or do you get them from somewhere in the U.S.? Or how do you how do you make most, them? Most of it's overseas. I, so I'm the design. I'm a designer. So I, I, I know what I want the outputs to be. And, you know, the LEDs, most of the LEDs, it's crazy. The technology has come so far the past decade. Yeah. Um, but most of the LEDs come out of Taiwan. Like Taiwan's a semiconductor of course, capital yeah. of the world. And LEDs are semiconductors. Hmm. And the LED tech has gotten 
to the point where they know exactly how to dope the semiconductor to create whatever wavelength we want. Mm -hmm. It's actually really amazing. I'm, I'm getting kind of excited here because <laughs> thinking about all of the applications of things that I can design based on and relatively inexpensively. Sure. Um, very, uh, you know, because like we, I was mentioning earlier about UVB and UVA, imagine if you didn't, you could create something that didn't have all that UVA. Like right now you go to a tanning bed, is UVB, 70% is UVA. You don't want the UVA because it's prematurely aging the skin. It's tanning you from oxidizing melanin, not from uh, spurring synthesis of your own melanin. Mm -hmm. So why do you even need that? And in the past, that I mean, those fluorescent tubes, that's like a 100-year-old technology. But now with LEDs, we can do we can pretty much hit any part of the solar spectrum we want yeah. very precisely. And so that has a lot of applications in terms of different use cases. You know, there's good data about 520, 520 nanometer green light for migraines and you know but the specifics matter right so like i can create green light by combining blue and yellow but that's going to make your migraine worse but if you use narrow band leds to hit 520 nanometers that's showing it, it's easing my people's migraines like in 20 seconds wow wow it, i know a lot of people that that would help but that's a good example of narrow band led technology very specific use case but only that type of thing can only be done with leds and it's new this type of technology is relatively new well, using LEDs, leds have been around a while but it's the the ability to dope them and hit specific wavelengths like we can do now mm -hmm. and to do that inexpensively yeah is is relatively new like where the cost you know the technologies come so long i can design all of these products and make them commercial uh available to consumer at, at, a, at a decent price yeah so then the companies that aren't doing that, because there are still companies that are charging a lot of money for this stuff. Is this just a, a thicker margin they've added on just because they can? Or, or is there something that maybe we're missing that they're doing differently to their whole process? Uh, well, I would say it's probably the former. Uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, and there's, uh, a, look, you know, there's nothing. I, you set the market price. And if we're, we're, it is what it is. We're direct to consumer. My, my business, see, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. And uh, it's a catch-22. When I bring a product to market, I want it to be the best product. Mm. I want it to be the best value, mm. uh, bar none, or otherwise I won't even bring it to, to market. Mm -hmm. And so, because I, to me, if I can have the best value and the best product, then it's it's easy. Yeah. It's an easy decision for any somebody that's looking for that. Um, and so, in order to do that, I work seven days a week. We have a skeleton crew. I mean, I run very lean. I don't. I don't have a lot of paid endorsements or anything like this. Mm -hmm. Direct to consumer. You find us, and then you do comparisons. And it's kind of I, I, my. I want to make it impossible for you to want to go anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's definitely the most. Um, it's definitely the most friendly prices that I've found in the in the industry for this kind of thing. And it and it has just such great application for every single person. That I think I think it's going to do very well. Did you have something? Yeah, um, I had more a question when uh, when it came to designing because I mean we we asked this question to a company called uh, Animal House. When you are designing a product and when you're manufacturing it overseas, is that a concern for you that they won't just take that and replicate it and sell it for far cheaper? That, yeah, a Alibaba. Of, a lot of those other countries they don't really abide by the same business uh, etiquette that we do in the states and they will just manipulate and just sell your product and your designs so it is a concern i think i manage that concern 
a couple of ways. One is we do have uh, intellectual property. I have patents on a, on a, mm. one of our, our recent Mito Adapt. It's patent pending. I mean, that, that, that process takes a couple of years, but it's, it's in the works. Mm -hmm. So we protect ourselves on the intellectual property side by filing for patents. And so ideally we get awarded a patent and no other company can issue can um, knock off our design and sell it in the U.S. at least, although sure. I'm, I'm, we're going for worldwide. Um, and secondly, I, I manage that risk by having really good relationships. I mean, my suppliers, my manufacturers, they're partners. And the same way that I treat my customers like gold, I treat my suppliers like gold. Mm -hmm. And and as long as we grow together, I mean, I think that that's how you kind of mitigate that risk. You know, they 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 believe in me. They believe in our company and what we're doing. Mm -hmm. They believe in our ability to sell worldwide and to, and to scale a business. And so it's in their interests to kind of stay on this ride with me. Yeah. Right? Especially with these fresh new ideas that you keep going on. Once you partner with somebody who you realize, Hey, this person is sort of a, you know, a never ending stream. This isn't just a one-off customer. This guy's going to keep going. It definitely makes sense why it would behoove them to stick with you. Right. And then those suppliers actually act as advocates for me. So if they do see somebody even trying to knock us off in other geographies, then they, they can help me go after them. Mm, <laughs> and so, they, yeah. Uh, oh, so yeah. That, oh, I'm uh, sure. That's awesome. Well, how can people find you? I mean, if they're trying to get in touch or if they have questions or if they want to see a unit, where would they go? So the website's the best way. I mean, uh, mitoredlight.com. Mm -hmm. M-I-T-O, which is short for mitochondria. Short for mitochondria. Yes. You got it. Yep. Uh, still often we hear mito, which I don't mind it. I mean, yeah, right. I mean, it's got a good <laughs> ring to it, but it, it's, it's it was originally mito. And... um. And obviously, if you're in the area, if you're in Phoenix, Scottsdale area, you're always welcome to come down and check out the facility. You have a, uh, you were down there. I don't know if you I saw did. the new bed, uh, but you know the new bed is uh, is something to to try. I and, didn't see it. No, that's uh, awesome. If you think if you think that 300 LED light energizes you, you should try the bed. It's the Superman experience. I'm is that sure what this is, is right is here? Is that it right there? That's it. it Ooh, is. that's sexy looking. Yeah, it it's, is. It's 5,200 watts. It's 42,000 LEDs. It's uh, it's an experience. <laughs> wow. <coughs> that is crazy looks like, cool looks like a spaceship. It, I was going to say, that's exactly what I was thinking. It looks like something from Star Wars. That's oh, I love cool. that. It's fun. That's great. It's fun. So mitoredlight.com. And then for Instagram, social media, just mitoredlight, same thing. Uh, I think on Instagram, uh, we changed it to Mito Red Light Official. official. I, guess, I don't know if there was somebody knocking us off or something. Well, you're going to be able to get your blue check mark pretty soon. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the very soon you'll be able to validate uh, through Meta. Already, I saw our, these. Our podcast got yeah. a notification. Oh, did it. we? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I did too. I, feel, I filled out the form. I think it's just a matter of waiting. We should see something start to happen where... Um, you have to send in your ID, and essentially, if you if you if you can prove that you're you at your page, they'll give you the blue check mark. That's all it'll take, and then you'll have to pay like I think fifteen bucks a month to keep it. But it's well worth it because now no one can ever replicate you. They can't ever send in your driver's license unless something goes terribly wrong. <laughs> but yeah, right. thank you so much for coming on, Scott. That was Thanks awesome. Yeah, thank was you a lot. Yeah, it was a vat of knowledge. A lot of people are going to really enjoy that. Thank okay. you so okay. much. You good, bud? Cut it there.